God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. Praise the Lord, for it is fitting, to, it is good to sing praises to our God, for he is gracious and praise is fitting. Let us bow our heads in prayer. Almighty God, we pray you would draw near to us today so that our worship would not be in vain, would not be false, would not be empty. And we pray that by your drawing near to us, by your Holy Spirit, that we would be able to draw near to you. Let your word abide with us until it has worked in us your holy will. And we pray you would renew our hearts, refresh us, strengthen us, renew and increase our strength so that we might grow into your likeness. And by our worship, be enabled better to serve you in our daily life. And this we ask in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Our first hymn is number 101, Come Thou Almighty King. You who do truly and earnestly repent of your sins and are in love and charity with your neighbors and intend to lead a new life following the commandments of God and by the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, walking in his holy ways, draw near with faith and make your humble confession to Almighty God. Let us pray together. Most merciful God, Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, we confess that we have sinned in thought, word, and deed. We have not loved you with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We have loved ourselves most of all. In your mercy, forgive what we have been. Help us to amend what we are and direct what we shall be. 
that we may do justly, love mercy, and walk humbly with you, our God. Amen. Please stand for the assurance of pardon. Christian people, our Heavenly Father, who of his great mercy has promised forgiveness of sins to all who with hearty repentance and true faith turn to him through faith in Jesus Christ. He has mercy upon us and delivers and pardons us from all our sins. He confirms and strengthens us in all goodness and he brings us to everlasting life. I declare to you as a minister of the gospel that all those who have faith in Jesus Christ and do repent of their sin are truly forgiven of all their sin. This is the good news of the gospel. We say together, praise be to God. When God brought the people of Israel out of Egypt, he redeemed them from slavery. He established them as his own people. We begin to see his salvation being, well, not begin, but we do see his salvation being worked out in this world through Israel that was finally fulfilled and completed with Jesus Christ. And he gave them ten commandments. The sixth commandment is this, you shall not kill. I think it's probably the shortest one there, um, or one of the short ones, and yet it's packed with importance and meaning for us, even as Christians. We hear it through Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ even picked up this commandment and, um, and taught it to his disciples. Human beings were created in the image of God, so all Human beings are created in the image of God. And what is more, it is as a human being and for human beings that God himself came in the person of his son. So Jesus Christ, uh, there is some ancient uh, hymns and writings that talk about God graced the human race by becoming one of us and not some other creature, but becoming a human um, uh, being, becoming man. And he did that in Jesus Christ. And so for this reason, Christian people, we are to value and preserve and protect human life. Now, obviously, that means you're not to murder. This is very clear in the commandment, but it also runs deeper. We're not just in our actions, but our thoughts, um, our, our, the things we say. All of that is to be um, uh, in a way that builds human life and doesn't destroy human life. So it's not simply enough to refrain from killing our neighbors. This is what a person who doesn't think much about this would say. Well, I haven't killed anyone, so therefore I haven't broken that commandment. Well, the reverse is true. We've all broken the commandment because we don't value human life, because we have uh, said things and done things that have been destructive to other people in human life, even without killing them. And so while we've all done that, Jesus Christ frees us from sin so that we can now uphold and promote and encourage human life in all its aspects. So the important thing is to actually love our neighbors, including our enemies, as ourselves, as Jesus teaches. We have no right of ourselves to take human life. Neither are we to hate or be angry with our brother or sister or our neighbor. Rather, we are to follow the pattern of Jesus Christ. The sixth, sixth commandment calls us to value human life, to honor the image of God in man, men and women. It calls us to lend our support to everything that tends toward the promotion and preservation of human life, including the lives of the poor, the weak, the vulnerable, the elderly, and the unborn. It calls us to promote peace, peace between individuals, peace between groups and classes, peace among the nations. It commits us to the cause of human freedom and dignity, and it calls us personally to put to death within ourselves all those things that tend toward destruction of human life, our life and other people's lives, like selfishness, 
and a callousness towards human life, a flippancy towards human life, um, and uh, things like that that lack love. Brothers and sisters, I exhort you to honor the image of God in people and to strive in the strength of the Lord to live as you, to love as you are loved through Jesus Christ. This is God's will for us in Christ, and let us say, Amen. Our hymn is number 247, O Sacred Head Now Wounded. Let us pray. We thank you, O Heavenly Father, that you have brought light to those who sat in darkness, that you bring down the proud and lift up the lowly, as Mary sang in her song. You have remembered all of us, even those who are not famous in this world, those who are weak, those who are considered unimportant in this world. And with the birth of Jesus Christ, you have lifted us up into the new life of your salvation. Now you have made us the family of Jesus Christ to whom you have given the glorious gospel of heaven 
to proclaim the rich food of your to proclaim that gospel and to receive the rich food of your kingdom to be given positions of royal service, not to lord it over others, but to serve you, our God and King, and high privilege to bring our petitions to you. You are Almighty God, and we know that you hear us because we pray in the name of Jesus Christ. So by the spirit of holiness, we, make, we humbly make our requests known to you. Merciful God, as you have not neglected your creatures, but given dens for the badgers, crevices for the swallows, wisdom to humanity to build good community and cultures, we pray you would provide shelter for those who have no place to go. We pray you would bring them aid through your church and the kindness of the cities so that they might have warm clothes, nutritious meals, medical care, and compassion. Hear our prayers for those who are homeless, O Lord. For the lonely, we pray, for those who feel forgotten, those who have been dispossessed. Because Jesus Christ came not just to be born, but to live among us in this sinful world in order to deliver the lost and the forsaken, we ask for friendships, even just a provisional illustration of what Jesus Christ does for us. We pray for friendships for the lonely. And may your church help restore human community in this world. Hear our prayers. We pray for those who govern our nation. We ask that you would increase the virtues of honesty, truth, fairness, intelligence, love of peace, and humility. This we ask for Joe Biden, our president, our senators, Gary Peters and Debbie Stabenow, for our representatives, and also for Kevin McCarthy and um, uh, the Speaker of the House, and also for the members of Congress. We pray that political bullying and animosity would be stopped, that people would Learn to speak to each other respectfully. Here are prayers for those who govern us. Blessed Father, remember your church and each one of us in all of our circumstances. We pray you'd give us your grace to be full of faith and love and hope at all times. We do pray for for Harvest OPC Church in our presbytery there their uh, ministers and their session as they're going through difficult times right now. Also for our members, for the husbands and wives, we pray that their love for each other might be more earnest and full. For our children, we pray that they would receive the care and guidance they need to develop Christian hearts and minds by your word. For our students who are away or at home, we pray for wise decisions and that they would not depart from your paths of faith and righteousness and faithfully attend Christian worship. And for those in our church who are single, we pray that they would have friendship among their brothers and sisters in Christ and know that they are part of his family. Here are our prayers. Heal and give aid to those who are sick or facing difficulties right now. We bring to you the names of those who are upon our hearts (coughs) for Frida, for Lee, (coughs) excuse me, Frida and Leah, for Eduardo, for Jeff and Linda, for Fawn and Bob, and for our friends Karen and Tom and Phil and Dominique, for Bob and Gladys, Angie, Mrs. Mesner, Becky, 
and others we name to you in silence. May we find more opportunities to bear witness to the gospel of Jesus Christ with those in the neighborhoods around this church and where we live. Make for us a way to come into contact with and develop friendships with those who are outside the church. We also pray for the prisoners in the jail and the discussion of your word there. Bless the work that we do at the Pontiac County Jail, Oakland County Jail. And we make our prayer in the name of Jesus Christ, whose pure light has dawned in our world, revealing your mercy and love for our salvation, and who has shone upon our hearts. And so we pray as he has taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Let us present our gifts and offerings to the Lord. And now we pray our prayer of illumination 
uh, asking the Spirit of God to uh, penetrate our hearts with his word and give us uh, faith, deepen our faith and our hope and our obedience. Let us pray. Father, we echo the prayer of the psalmist in praying that you send out your light and your truth. Let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy hill and to your dwelling. Then I will go to the altar of God, to God my exceeding joy, and I will praise you with a lyre, O God, my God. Lord, uh, may you be glorified by the fruit of the preaching of your word this morning. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Our Old Testament reading is Psalm 50, 4 through 9. Isaiah. Excuse me? Isaiah. Make that Isaiah. The Lord God has given me the tongue of those who are taught, that I may know how to sustain with a word him who is weary. Morning by morning he awakens, he awakens my ear, to hear as those who are taught. The Lord has opened my ear, and I was not rebellious. I turned not backward. I gave my back to those who strike, and my cheeks to those who pull out the beard. I hid not my face from disgrace and spitting. But the Lord God helps me. Therefore I have not been disgraced. Therefore I have set my face like a flint. And I know that I shall not be put to shame. He who vindicates me is near. Who will contend with me? Let us stand up together. Who is my adversary? Let him come near to me. Behold, the Lord God helps me. Who will declare me guilty? Behold, all of them will wear out like a garment. The moth will eat them up. And now our Psalter response from Psalm 56. Be gracious to me, O God, for man tramples on me. All day long an attacker oppresses me. My enemies trample on me all day long. When I am afraid, I put my trust in you. In God whose word I praise. What can flesh do to me? All day long they injure my cause. All their thoughts are against me for evil. They strive, strive, they lurk. They watch my steps. As they have waited for my life. For for their crime will they escape. In wrath pass down the evils of God. You have kept count of my tossings. Are they not in your book? In the day when I call. This I know that God is for me. In God whose word I praise. In the Lord whose word I praise. In God I trust, I shall not be afraid. What can man do to me? I must perform my vows to you, O God. I will render thank offerings to you. 
Yes, my feet from falling. That I may walk before God. In the light of life. We turn next to the book of Romans, chapter 12. I know and am persuaded, excuse me, excuse me, I'm in the wrong chapter. Bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another, do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink, for by so doing you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. And now our gospel reading from Mark, chapter 15. And the soldiers led him away inside the palace, that is, the governor's headquarters. And they called together the whole battalion. And they clothed him in a purple cloak, and twisting together a crown of thorns, they put it on him. And they began to salute him, Hail, King of the Jews. And they were striking his head with a reed, and spitting on him, and kneeling down in homage to him. And when they had mocked him, They stripped him of the purple cloak and put his clothes on him, and they led him out to crucify him. The word of the Lord. We've been following Jesus with the Gospel of Mark. Yes, we stopped for a bit as we observed Advent and and the coming, the birth of Christ. <clears throat> the first few days, uh, weeks after that, with um, Epiphany and the baptism of Christ. All themes and events that are recorded in the Gospels. But now we're back to Mark, and we've been, if you remember, following Jesus. I like to say it that way, following Jesus with the Gospel of Mark. Not just following Jesus, but with the Gospel. The driving theme in the Gospel of Mark is that Jesus Christ is the Lord who was crucified for us and raised for us. So that's, that's what the overall theme, kind of you could say, the, the general theme of the Gospel of Mark is. The first half of the Gospel is about Jesus as the Lord. He calls his disciples, he heals the sick, he casts out demons, he teaches with the authority of God, he raises the little girl from the dead, he does much more. And we see in that that Jesus is the Lord over people, over sickness, demons, death, and so on. <clears throat> in the ancient world, it was common to have people with the title Lord. However, Jesus showed he is much more than a Lord over one nation or one people. He's not a localized Lord. Jesus was not an ordinary kind of Lord. He wasn't like Lord Caesar in Rome or King Herod. He is the Lord over heaven and earth. 
The second half of the gospel is about Jesus the Lord who is on his way to the cross to suffer and die. And that's the part that really threw the ancient world into a tailspin. How can someone who is Lord of heaven and earth, who has that title, suffer and die? How does, that, how does the Lord do that and still remain the Lord? Even his disciples, while they followed Jesus to Jerusalem, could not understand this. Remember Peter who rebuked Jesus for saying he must suffer many things and be put to death, but then Jesus said on the third day he would rise. Peter rebuked Jesus for saying that. And Jesus uh, turned around and set him straight, you might say. In fact, Jesus would go on and three times in the Gospel of Mark make that same declaration of his death. He is the Lord who would suffer and die. This did not sound like the Lord of heaven and earth. It didn't sound that way to his disciples' ears and it didn't sound that way to the general population. But this gets right at the Gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the Lord who died for us. People today have trouble with that just as much as people in the first century, although the reasons may be different. I think today one of the basic reasons with people who we really aren't a society that's very honest about ourselves, uh, if there ever has been such a society, but the question kind of arises today, why do we need a Lord who suffers and dies for us? Our lesson this morning is part of the passion story of Jesus Christ in the Gospel of Mark. His passion really began when he was arrested. I think a lot of times we think about that in those, those uh, few scenes before the cross. But it begins before that when he was arrested and handed over. Um, it was, begins before he was arrested and handed over to the Roman soldiers. We've heard the stories of Jesus' anointing at the house of Simon. Remember the woman who came, poured the alabaster uh, perfume on his feet in his head, uh, depending on which gospel you're looking at, and the betrayal of Judas, the Passover meal where Jesus instituted the Lord's Supper. That, those are all part of Jesus' passion. His disciples who were sure, they were confident that they wouldn't betray Jesus, remember, and then they all ran away. Jesus' agonizing prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane, his arrest and inquisition by the Jewish leaders, and then his trial before Pilate. All of that's part of his passion. And so is the violent assault on Jesus by the Roman soldiers in our lesson this morning, all part of his passion. Now, Scripture mutes it a bit, but it doesn't take much of an imagination to understand the violence inflicted upon Jesus in our gospel text. There's no mention of blood in our text, but you can be sure there was plenty of it. Jesus was already bloody when he was handed over to the Roman soldiers. Pilate had Jesus scourged, before handing him over to the soldiers. And that's mentioned in the verse right before our reading this morning, verse 15. So before Jesus was handed over, Pilate had him scourged. Scourging was done by whipping the person on the back with a sinister-looking whip. The whip had long leather straps with sharp objects tied to the end like pieces of metal and glass. When it struck the person's back, it was designed to sink into the flesh and grab on. Yanking the whip away from the person's back tore away pieces of the skin and muscle. Needless to say, it was a bloody, excruciating experience. Humanity, if we think about it, this is an early simple form of, of violence, but we have the capability of creating some horrendously savage and cruel ways of assaulting each other. Jesus was already a bloody mess when the soldiers took him away. Now, Mark is not gratuitous about the bloodiness of the assault, but our society is. 
I remember when television shows, television shows in the main did not show much blood when someone was shot or punched in the face. I'm saying generally speaking, back in the 1970s, late 1960s, I remember when you just didn't see a lot of blood on TV. I know there were movies out that showed those, some of that, but someone would get shot in a Western or, or somebody's punched in the face in a barroom brawl, and you, just, you wouldn't really see any blood. Early in the film industry, violence was censored by the 1930 motion picture, this is a long name, Motion Picture Producers and Distributors of America's Production Code, thankfully shortened to the Hayes Code. And there's a clause in it about murder. And this is what it says. The technique of murder presented in film must be presented in a way that will not inspire imitation. Brutal killings are not to be presented in detail. Revenge in modern times shall not be justified. Uh, Part of the reason the film director Alfred Hitchcock chose to shoot Psycho, which you're all familiar with Psycho probably, but he chose to shoot it not in color. It's filmed in black and white. The capability was there, but he decided to film it in black and white because he didn't think audiences could handle the bloodshed of that scene in color. Slowly, that began to change. Television movies began to show a little spot of blood, then larger stains around the wound, then pools of blood on the ground near the person who was assaulted, and now the movement, the movement of blood is shown, trickling, draining, squirting. Violence today in movies and video games is graphic, and there are warnings about it, but it's shown anyway. Isn't that interesting? This is not good for you, but here, look at it. With computer graphics and carefully choreographed stunts, horrible assaults can be depicted on the screen. And the more graphic it is, the more it sells. People argue that it's more realistic that way, but it's probably more honest to say that we're fascinated with it. Violence holds our attention. I remember talking to the father of one of our members years ago. She was a student, PhD student at the University of Michigan, And her father had served in the army as a medic with the rangers, the army rangers. And he told me that he had seen some horrific casualties of war and violence. He didn't go into detail, thankfully, but he said that was their job. He said, we saw the hideousness and gruesomeness of violence so that everyone else did not have to. Today, people watch violence and we can't get enough of it. There is a hunger for violence in our society. During his passion, Jesus was violently assaulted. Verse 19 says, And they were striking his head with a reed, and they were spitting on him. Violent assault usually involves a weapon, like a gun or a knife or a fist. In Jesus' case, it was a cane or a staff of some sort. Striking his head caused great pain. The head is one of the more sensitive areas of the body. Violence inflicted on the head also shows immediate signs of trauma. It's not like a blow on the arm or the leg, which later might turn, swell up or a bruise you know, appears. But on the head, uh, it, it shows up much more immediately. And the head, <clears throat> um, the head will show this, this kind of beating Um, in in every part of it. Strike the head on the face and the eyes will swell, the mouth bleeds, the nose gushes blood, bruises appear, and like I said, it's almost immediate. It doesn't take many blows for the head to look beat up. 
However, violent assault does not only come from direct physical contact. Spitting on someone is demeaning. We can all identify with that because spitting on someone is a time-honored insult, and it seems to jump across cultures. It's intended to make the person feel like worthless dirt. Where do you normally spit? And I don't mean to be so <laughs> crass about it, but when I'm out cycling or whatever, and I'm, I'm going to spit on the ground, I'm, I'm, I really am careful not to spit when there's a car coming or a person nearby. I spit on the ground. Well, if a person, you spit on a person, you're basically saying they're no more better than the ground to spit on. The soldiers violently assaulted Jesus by spitting on him. And Jesus was also mocked. He was ridiculed. Mark says they clothed Jesus in a purple cloak, and by twisting together a crown of thorns, they put it on him. Then they mockingly hailed him as king. The Roman emperor, in, in, in the Roman Empire, you hailed Caesar this way. You said, Ave Caesar. Ave means hail. Hail Caesar. And the soldiers saluted Jesus, Hail, King of the Jews. In, in a mocking way, they hailed him as you would a king. They also dressed Jesus up to look like a king. The soldiers stripped Jesus of his garment. They draped a purple-colored cloak over him. Purple was the color worn by emperors. It was difficult to make. There was a certain shellfish that lived in the sea and the the ocean around that part of the world, and, and you had to harvest it and then process it, and you could get this color purple, but it was a lot of work. And so it tended to be the, the emperor, the kings, who wore the color purple, somebody who had wealth. They were The soldiers were mocking Jesus as someone who was important when clearly they thought he was nothing more than a worthless commoner who was sentenced to die. The soldiers twisted together the branches of a thorn bush into the shape of a crown. They put it on Jesus' head. Now, the traditional understanding is that the crown of thorns was pressed into Jesus' head with the, with the thorns puncturing into his skin and tissue. The result, of course, would have been more blood trickling down Jesus' face and neck. But what's interesting is none of the Gospels mention the crown of thorns. Uh, the Gospels that mention the crown of thorns say nothing about blood, and that could just be because they don't want to be overly graphic. But they don't say anything about that. There's another way to understand how the ring of thorns was placed on Jesus' heads, and that is that the crown of thorns, the thorns would have been sticking out and up, away from the head. This would have looked more like the radiant crown of divine rulers at that time. There are images of rulers with this type of crown on their heads on coins of that period. The radiant crown is designed to imitate the rays of the sun protruding on, uh, outward all around the crown. So the crown would have gone around, and then you'd have these lines of, of these uh, points of gold sticking out from the crown, and that was a common type of crown that the uh, emperors wore. So the crown of thorns placed on Jesus' head may have looked like that, not sticking into his head, but sticking outward of his head. And that fits the scene well because it would have contributed to their mockery of him as a king. Jesus was not the first to be mocked as a king. The first century Jewish writer Philo records an incident in which Agrippa I was mocked by the people of Alexandria, Egypt. And this was after Agrippa was made king of Judea. They dressed up a mentally disabled man like Agrippa. They dressed this mentally disabled man up like Agrippa, made him look like Agrippa, um, the king of, of Judea, and they saluted him as king. There are also reports from the time of ceremonies in different places that involved dressing up a dummy 
you know, a mock person, of something that looks like a person as a, as a king, and imitating that king's sacrificial death. So it'd be like burning an effigy, um, burning something that looks like the king as an effigy. So these kinds of things were not unknown in the ancient world. This tells us that the soldiers were not the first to violently mock someone as a king. Even so, that is what they were doing with Jesus. It doesn't diminish what they were doing with Jesus, even though others had thought about doing this as well with other people. So all of the violence and all of the ridicule ridicule is about Jesus being a king. The purple cloak, the crown of thorns, the royal salutes, striking his head with a staff. It's interesting in the Gospel of Matthew, the staff is put in Jesus' hand like a scepter. Um, kneeling down and making uh, fake homage, you know, kind of fake acting like he's worthy of worship. All of that is mockery of Jesus as king. The violent assault and mockery in our lesson this morning is not hard to grasp. It's one of those things that everyone who's lived in this world throughout history can identify with. Violence is one of those universal experiences of being human in this world. We can all relate to it, no matter if you were born in the 21st century or you were born in the 1st century, and no matter where you were born. Probably most, if not all of you, have had some kind of assault against your person. Even more probable is that you've been mocked. Now, we may not have been mocked as if we were kings, but we have been mocked in other ways. And if you have not been personally mocked, then don't pay attention to the news and the TV shows and the movies and all that, because very often Christians are mocked in those places. You may hear it from a comedian like Bill Maher or a TV show like CBS had a TV show in 2016 called Angel from Hell, and it portrayed Christians in a very negative light. So if you pay any attention, you realize that, yeah, you are being mocked because you're a Christian. Our society today is not just fascinated by violence, it is violent. Individually, people are violently attacked and mocked in our society. You just open up your media and you'll find one story after another about violence against people. Real violence, not manufactured violence to try to gain political points. That happens but real, horrible, physical assault and demeaning ridicule. Right now, our society is debating about whether there's been an actual increase in violent assaults in the United States. There are plenty of stories in the news about violent assaults. That's anecdotal. However, some argue that the actual statistics show a decrease in violence, particularly when compared to the decade of the 1970s and the decade of the 1990s. For example, Chicago, which has become It has a lot of violence in it. Chicago peaked with 970 murders in 1974, 943 murders in 1992, but in the past 20 years, the peak for for murders in Chicago uh, was in 2021 with only 855 murders, and I say only. Some argue that while violence in Chicago is never good, no one wants to affirm violence, it's better than it was overall. So we we have some reason for hope is the idea. Well, a statistic is one thing, but for those who have been violently assaulted or know someone who has been violently assaulted, it's personal and horrific, irregardless of the statistic. Right now, there is dangerous violence escalating in Atlanta, 
in Mexico, on the border of Palestine and Israel, in Ukraine, in Syria, and Congo. That's just to name a few places. And I just mentioned one city in the United States. Mockery is also common in our society. One of the ways it manifests itself is with bullying. I always shake my head when I hear of politicians and activists who call out bullying in our schools and on social media, and then I hear them bully their political opponents. They are not a good example. Some would even say they're hypocrites. Today, individuals can be singled out in a restaurant or at a home and bullied into hiding. Christians are frequently mocked for their faith. We have no trouble identifying with the mockery and violent assault against Jesus. And you'll find no shortage of answers to the problem of violence in our society. Most of these answers involve programs. Programs to stop violence in the family. Programs to give people jobs. Education in the schools to teach our children to be affirming of others. Programs that teach you how to take deep breaths as you're about to lose it. And so on. Psychology Today has an article that says the problem is our primitive animal instinct. We need to train our young people how to be tougher when they face discomfort. What we need, according to this psychologist, is discomfort training. So he's advocating for that. Some of these answers may be helpful. It's not to take away some of the helpfulness of these answers, but they don't get to the very root of the problem of violence. Jesus, on the other hand, does something else. He doesn't strike back. When you read that, hear that story, he doesn't strike back. He doesn't struggle to break free. He doesn't protest. He doesn't escalate the situation. He doesn't ask God to repay the soldiers who attacked him. In that palace, he didn't even open his mouth. How does Jesus come across to us? Like a doormat, a victim, as powerless? Our gospel lesson in Mark has much violence in it, but it is, that's not its main point. It's about Jesus the King. It's not, it, it is easy to hone in on the assault that Jesus endured, but that's not what Mark focuses on. So because we are so oriented to violence in our society, maybe that's the way humanity has been for a very long time, we tend to hone in on that, but that's not what Mark is honing in on. Mark is all about the irony of Jesus being mocked as a king, and yet he is a king. The irony of Jesus being assaulted as a king, as a pretend king, and yet he is a king. The thing about violence is it's intended to make the victim look weak and powerless. It's hard to convince people who hear that Jesus was whipped and hit and struck and wounded, that he's the Lord and the king of heaven and earth. Jesus looks defeated in our story this morning. He looks like he's helpless, like so many other victims of violent assault in this world. Jesus does not look like a king who is the Lord who came into our world to save us. Jesus, the leader of his disciples, looks like he's lost any power he ever had. Indeed, that is how many in this world still see Jesus as a failed leader. The irony in our scripture lesson is that Jesus is a king. Not the kind of king our world recognizes with costly garments and a secure palace and a crown and a fist that hits back and knocks down. As I told you at the beginning of the sermon, Jesus is the king who is the Lord who goes to the cross to die for us in order to to deliver us from sin and evil. When Jesus was violently assaulted by the Roman soldiers, he was on his way to the cross. So here we have a text that we've heard read. Ideally, we would have heard this read all a part of chapter 14 and 15 because it all fits together. 
We should not forget, we must not forget that this story is what happened to Jesus on his way to the cross. He had a greater goal than to retaliate against the soldiers. Jesus came to do more than to stand up to violence in this world. Jesus is the Lord who came to defeat the root of violence. Jesus in the praetorium or the palace where the Roman soldiers were, he endured the violence because he was on his way to break the power that feeds the violence. Jesus was on his way to the cross to defeat sin. The root of violence in this world is sin. And I wanted to explain that a little bit more because that's probably something we would all immediately recognize or go to. But the power of sin is like a barrier that cuts us off from God. And when we are cut off from God, then the things that make for violence, such as selfishness and hatred and anger and unforgiveness and retaliation and abuse and mockery, dehumanizing others, a thirst for violence, all of that begins to grow in us. Jesus conquered the power of sin by taking it upon himself, paying the price for it, breaking down the wall, and creating the way for us to be in the stream of God's grace and love. Because as long as that wall is there, you're not in that stream. When we are in that stream with Christ, then the grace and love of God flows into us, and it begins to wash away those things that contribute to our violence. The first epistle of John says, In this the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world so that we might live through him. And then it goes on and says, If we love one another, it's because God, if we love one another, it's because God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. We've got to be in that stream if we don't want to have violence or the things that cause violence growing within us. In the stream of God's grace and love which flows through Christ, the things of violence are washed away. In the Bible, the conversion of Saul, who became Paul, is the story of a violent man who attacked the Christians, but after he encountered Jesus, his violence came to an end. And it's still happening today. The Lord Jesus encounters violent people and transforms them, like Alan Langham. You ever heard of Alan Langham? Neither did I, but I found this story, and it's a wonderful story. He became a star rugby player in England at the age of 17. But he dramatically descended into drugs and violence, and eventually he was in a revolving door of prison sentences, which would span 20 years of his life, two decades. While in prison, he became a gang leader. So this guy is, is the heart of the heart. He's, he's very violent. But he also, when he was in prison, after all this had happened, he encountered Jesus Christ and became a Christian, while he was in prison. It happened through the chapel there. He encountered, his encounter with Christ started this long journey to recovery, a road that while sometimes was bumpy, he still had moments and times when he would be violent and he still ran into problems, but overall his life began to improve and the violence began to diminish and he began, it began to be washed away. Washed away. And the result was great rewards in his life, the restoration of family relationships. He became a sports chaplain uh, for one of the teams. And most importantly, his, obviously his relationship with God and his dignity and his wholeness were restored. He wrote a book about it. It's called Taming of a Villain. 
And you can look it up on Amazon and find it. Alan Langham, Taming of a Villain. The gospel of Jesus Christ teaches us not to be violent. I discovered something when I searched the web for a story about a violent person who converted to Christianity. I found this Alan Langham story. I discovered that the web pages start, the first several pages start, with websites about how Christianity is a violent religion. One site says, its its provocative title is, It's Time to Talk About Violent Christian Extremism. Another asks the question, Is Christianity a Violent Religion? Many sites excoriate Christianity for violence against Jews and other groups. Christianity and violence is a popular topic these days. Now, in spite of good intentions, Christians will easily pick up violent ways in this world unless they entrust themselves to Jesus as the Lord who overcomes violence by his death on the cross. See, even Christians can be violent because this is a human problem. It's not particular to... I always think about that when someone wants to bring up, well, you Christians are violent. Yes, there have been Christians who have been violent. And so have many other kinds of people. In fact, all of humanity has shown this kind of violence. It's not a Christian problem, especially if you read what, what Jesus taught and what the scriptures teach. It's a human problem. But Christians can manifest this in their lives unless they entrust themselves to Jesus as the Lord who overcomes violence by his death and the cross. He's the power of God's grace and love that brings an end to the violence in our lives. And because of what Jesus does, we are taught not to promote the violence of this world. And that's what we hear in our epistle lesson from Romans. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. As far as it depends upon you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. What's it talking about there? God's justice. God is a just God, and he will set things right. This is based on what Jesus taught his disciples. He said, you have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist one who is evil, but if anyone strikes you on the, on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. Brothers and sisters, because we stand with Christ in the stream of God's grace and love, we are to bear witness to Jesus' defeat of violence in this world by his death and resurrection. It's not our job as Christians to bear witness to the violence. There are plenty of people around us bearing witness to the violence of humanity, the violence of this world. That's not our calling as Christians. Our calling as Christians is to bear witness to Jesus' defeat of that on the cross and that we stand in the stream of his grace and love. Come now to the Lord's table where we encounter the Lord Jesus Christ, who was crucified, to break the power of sin and redeem us for God. Let us pray. Give us grace, O Lord, to follow our Savior Jesus Christ and live by his grace and love in this world. By word and deed, may we be witnesses to all people of the good news of his salvation, that we and the whole world may perceive the glory of his marvelous work, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. Let us respond to the preaching of the word with our faith using the creed in the bulletin. We believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all things visible and invisible, and in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, begotten of his Father before all worlds, 
God of God, light of light, very God of very God, begotten, not made, being of one substance with the Father, through whom all things were made, who for us and for our salvation came down from heaven, it was incarnate by the Holy Spirit of the Virgin Mary, and was made man, and was crucified also for us under Pontius Pilate. He suffered and was buried. And the third day he rose again according to the scriptures, and ascended into heaven, and is seated at the right hand of the Father. And he shall come again with glory to judge both the living and the dead, whose kingdom shall have no end. And we believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord and giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son, who with the Father and the Son together is worshipped and glorified, who spoke by the prophets. And we believe in one holy, Catholic, and apostolic church. We acknowledge one baptism for the remission of sins, and we look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen. Our hymn, as we come to the Lord's table, is number 523, My Hope is in the Lord.
This is the Lord's table where we have an encounter with the Lord. Because He is alive and present by His Holy Spirit, we encounter the risen living Lord here at this table. We are met and nourished by Him, and we also, of course, have true fellowship with one another as members of His body. As they were eating, Jesus took bread and blessed and broke the bread and gave it to His disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. And He took a cup, and when He had given thanks, He gave it to them, saying, Drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. We do welcome to this table all who have been baptized, professed faith in Jesus Christ, and are communicant members in good standing of the Christian church. You are to come to this table with a true faith in Jesus Christ, a sorrow for and willingness to turn away from sin, and a determination and reliance upon God's grace to lead a godly life in peace with and love toward your brothers and sisters. Christian people, today we've been reminded that Jesus Christ is the King who died to break the barrier of sin for us. This day we have confessed our sins, received the assurance of God's forgiveness, we've heard his call to live in love. So as you come to the supper, I exhort you to remember the grace that is yours in him, and strengthened by the sacrament, be witnesses in this violent world to the grace and love of God and Jesus Christ. And come to this meal with joy, because all these things have been done for you. Rejoice in Christ's sacrifice on your behalf. Be strengthened by his gifts and find you the grace you need to follow where he leads. Join with me now in giving thanks to God for his salvation and life for us in Jesus Christ. The Lord be with you. And also with you. Lift up your hearts. We lift them up to the Lord. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. It is right to give him thanks and praise. Almighty God, good Father to us all, your face is turned towards your world. In love you gave us Jesus your Son to rescue us from sin and death. Your word goes out to call us home to the city where angels sing your praise. We join with them in heaven's song. Holy, 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 Lord, God of power and might, heaven and earth are full of your glory. Father of all, we give you thanks for every gift that comes from heaven. To the darkness, Jesus came as your light, the light of your salvation. With the grace of your salvation and the gospel word, he touched those who were sinners, those whose society had pushed to the side, anyone and all who have turned away from you. He came to touch them with love and he washed the guilty clean. We remember how the crowds came out to see your son, and yet in the end, they turned on him. On the night he was betrayed, he came to table with his friends to celebrate the freedom of your people. Jesus blessed you, Father, for the food. He took bread, he gave thanks, he gave it to his disciples. He also took the cup to his disciples and said, do this in remembrance of me. Do this in communion with me. Therefore, Father, with this bread and this cup, we celebrate the cross in which he died to set us free from sin. Defying death, he rose again and is alive with you to plead for us in your whole church as our intercessor and mediator. By your spirit uniting us with Christ, may our eating of this bread and drinking of this cup be for us a communion in the body and blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. May we and all who share this food offer ourselves to live for you and be welcomed at your feast in heaven where all creation worships you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. With one voice we offer our thanksgiving, and together we say, Amen. The Lord Jesus Christ took the bread.
took the bread, and after giving thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And he also took the cup, saying, This cup is the cup of the new covenant, sealed in my blood, shed for you for the forgiveness of sins. As often as you drink it, do this in remembrance of me.
Jesus says, the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so he who eats me will live because of me. Take and eat this bread and drink this cup, and remember Christ's body and blood given for you. Receive it with faith and thanksgiving. Take and eat and drink. Let us pray. Lord, now let your servants depart in peace according to your word. For our eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the presence of all people, to be a light to lighten the Gentiles and to be the glory of your people, even Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Our final hymn is number 176, Hail Thou Once Despised Jesus.
may the Lord of peace himself give you peace at all times and in every way. The Lord be with you all. And the blessing of God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit be upon you all now and forever. Amen. second just to get a little bit organized here. Perfect. Okay. Um, First off, just in terms of our general announcements, uh, today we will be having our annual meeting. I know that was a major draw for you despite the weather, Um, so we're very glad to uh, undertake that work, of important work of the congregation as well as the corporation. Uh, We will be, uh, I'm actually going to initiate that immediately after the announcements, and then we'll take a suspended, we'll take a short break so that we can do some things, but we want to make sure that we establish the quorum, which will be important, and we'll talk about that in just a bit. Um, So that will be today, electing officers and receiving the budget. Uh, The Thursday Bible study will be starting up again this Thursday here at the church, Um, And then uh, also note that the Friday evening prayer will be meeting at the Wilson's apartment this coming Friday. Uh, And that's all I have by way of the general announcements. Is there anything else? Oh, one more quick thing. Sorry. Uh, There in the um, bulletin, there was a uh, little flyer for the CareNet uh, Pregnancy Center, which is located in Berkeley. Uh, we are starting our baby bottle boomerang, which is a really fancy, uh, <laughs> I always crack up a little bit at the name of that, but uh, there are baby bottles that are in the back, and the intent is, is that you fill that up with change or loose money over the course of a few weeks and bring that back, and then we take that over to uh, the Crisis Pregnancy Center. It's just a small thing that we can do to help support the important work that the uh, pregnancy centers do, which is counseling people that are uh, young women that are, uh, or women that are considering abortion and uh, provide them with an uh, uh, alternative viewpoint and, and support uh, for that. So uh, that is uh, in the bulletin. The baby bottles are in the back. I'd encourage you to each take one, and over the course of the next few weeks, when will they be due? About three weeks. So fill those things up with uh, lots of uh, lots of change, or even the green folding kind is is probably even a little bit better. So uh, please uh, help uh, help with that work there. Uh, anything else from the uh, George? Yes, for better nine years. Uh, we prayed. We prayed for my brother Scott and his wife, Scott and Becky, and um, we continued to pray for Becky. And um, just that matters, you know. She has 
experience the initial kind of railing and condolence and comfort around her uh, with Scott's death in June. But, you know, now it proceeds the long journey of life without him. And, uh, it's been a hard, hard, hard road. And Tammy has kind of um, been a little more intentional in terms of keeping in touch with her and Scott, but their sons with an Lake Orion, so we're trying to, I'm trying to step up and Uncle George, so um, those prayers are still relevant. So thank you. Thanks. Thank you. Uh, anything else? Shirley. Yeah, I have the list for um, the sign up list for this year, and I'm going to just put one on that side and one on this side, and if you could. Everybody has no time in between the meeting and the meeting and sign up. Yep. Yeah, um, there's a, uh, a large amount of little tasks. Let's put it that way. There's a number of little tasks that are important to uh, keep the uh, life and ministry of the church going. It, rain, it ranges from setting up for communion to uh, making sure that we have uh, paper towels for the, for the bathrooms. It's just all different kinds of tasks. Uh, and so the sign-up sheet is a way in which you can help support the work of the church. Uh, so please um, uh, take advantage of that and, and join in that work. Can I add something to that? In the furnace room, by the wall next to the door, are two shut-off valves, one for hot water and one for cold. The one for cold is an old crank kind of valve, and it's leaking. It's not a massive leak, or we wouldn't probably be here right now, but um, it is leaking and requires a little bit of plumbing know-how because um, I'm sure you have to cut the pipe, take that piece out, put probably a, just a regular on-off in place of it. Is there anybody, if you don't have to answer right now, but if anybody knows how to do that and could do that, that would be helpful because it, it you know, obviously needs to be fixed. So just talk to me, okay, there's, there's one, um, maybe two of you can get together, but just see me and we'll, we'll see if we can get that set up. Amy, one word, shark bite. No, no, we're not doing that. <laughs> Eduardo. Thank you, Eduardo. I'll let you know if you ask me personally. <laughs> uh, I'm sorry, what was that? I just was asking what she wanted us to bring on Friday, but she said she'll let us know if you ask her personally. Okay. All right, uh, so right now we're going to... I, I'm sorry, Julie Cowles. Was Presbyterian... Did you go to I did. Your prayers worked. We, we shut down all the snow. You, you know, the Lord, the Lord no made it a clean, smooth sail. What I've noticed is when it's dreary and gray and rainy over here, 
it's worse over there. So anyway, four hours in, we had press tree meeting. There's some serious problems going on. We mentioned Harvest Church. There's some serious problems going on with Harvest Church in the session and, and a couple members. So please keep praying for them. Um, you know, but uh, everyone got across. And, and it was a good, it was a good job. Everybody was... I would say we did our business. I don't know that it's good. Good in one sense, and it's just a lot of problems to deal with. Okay. We're going to go ahead and move, as I said, to the congregational meeting. We're just going to establish the quorum, and then we're going to take a 10-minute break for folks to get a bit of refreshment, uh, take a break, or whatever they might need to do, but it'll be a quick break after we establish the quorum. Let me go ahead and read the requirement for the quorum, which is that uh, it says, the quorum at meeting shall consist of 51% of the voting members, unless otherwise defined in the bylaws. The bylaws is, are the, is a, a, by, uh, a governing um, or a document for the corporation that we have here. Its quorum is more restrictive than that of the congregation, so that if we establish the quorum for the corporation, we also establish it for the congregation as well. Um, I need, uh, I have already counted, and if you trust my count, um, I, I will say that we're good, but if you want to, we can more formally do that. You're going to trust it. Okay, so we will pronounce the quorum, and uh, the quorum needed was 23, and we had 27 here. So that's what we have. Uh, with that, we'll go ahead, and I should, since we're in the middle of a congregational meeting, can I have a motion to suspend for 10 minutes? Is there a second? All those in favor? Any opposed? Take a 10-minute break. <laughs> <laughs>